0: listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station.
1: This is The Agenda with Georgia Tolley.
0: On Dubai Eye 103.8.
1: Hello there and thank you for downloading The Agenda's podcast from today the 29th of November. And on the programme today, we had all the latest on that extraordinary tunnel rescue in India. All 41 workers are safe after 17 days trapped underground. Producer Jennifer Crichton had a report on all the latest news. We also got into the details of the Sheikh Zayed road closure on Friday, Saturday and Sunday this week. Bada al-Siri, the Executive Director of the Traffic Department for Dubai's Roads Transport joined us on the radio and as the public report more snake sightings in Fajera we spoke to expert Andrew Gardner about why we're having more close encounters with the reptiles plus we're going to get a new island resort just off the coast of Umsakim in Dubai construction expert Chris Seymour from Mott MacDonald told us all about the Las Vegas style mega project And Chris McCarty brought us up to date with all the latest sports news. Plus, a new exhibition is taking place right now at Emirates Towers. It's called the Prototypes for Humanity event, including dozens of clever ideas to manage the climate crisis. We spoke to the director of the event, Tadjia Baldani. Hello there. Welcome back to the programme. And we have cause for celebration on the show this morning because just have a listen to this. Yeah, that is the sound of celebration after 41 construction workers who spent 17 days trapped in a tunnel in Uttarkashi in northern India were finally rescued last night. Now, producer Jennifer Crichton has been following this story uh, throughout every twist and turn of it over the last two weeks. Joins me now in the studio. And, Jen, there really were some remarkable scenes this morning, weren't there? Absolutely. Now, those 41 men became
2: trapped when the tunnel they were working in collapsed in a landslide 17 days ago. And Last night, one by one, they were pulled to safety after rescuers broke through the rock to them late in the afternoon. Now, they'd been surviving on food and air that was being delivered through a small pipe. Sky's Neville Lazarus in Delhi says once they'd reached them, things happened pretty
3: quickly. The miners were then wheeled out on, on stretchers uh, which were, uh, were pulled by rope uh, at the other end. 41 ambulances were ready. They were put into these ambulances and taken to a, a hospital nearby.
1: So it really was quite an extraordinary rescue operation, wasn't it? It
2: was. It took diggers over 400 hours to reach the men. Now, hopes were high earlier this week and then they were dashed when the drilling equipment that was being used to reach the men ground to a halt. There was a number of breaks in that equipment and eventually the team had to hand-tunnel the last 20 metres or so, which is obviously a hugely laborious process. Now, that operation has seen a fairly unlikely hero emerge in the shape of Australian tunnel expert Arnold Dix, who helped lead the huge crew of rescuers on the ground. Now, he told reporters on site this morning that the operation had come down to teamwork. 41 kids up
0: there needed to come home and all the people helping, all the people helping. We couldn't get anyone hurt. The mountain hadn't hurt anybody. The mountain was keeping everyone safe and warm. It let us feed them, it let us give the water, it let us give them medicine. So I think a bit of thanks is in order. What kind I of challenges did you face? Think. I'm not sure how big your battery is. I think it would be better to say what, what kind of challenges didn't we face. And what we didn't face was a combined sense of purpose to save the 41 people. That's the challenge we didn't face. And in many places, we don't have that. Everyone knew we were bringing those men home.
2: Now, he was swamped this morning by those seeking to thank him for his work on the operation. But he insisted that he was only one very small part of the mission.
0: It has been my honour to serve. And as a parent, it's been my my honour to help all the parents out there getting their children home and remember in the beginning I said, 41 people home safe, no one gets hurt, we are calm and we knew exactly what we wanted and we worked as a wonderful team and when I say a wonderful team, the best engineers here in India, the army, their engineers, the best I've ever worked with, The Um, all the agencies, the federal authority, the state, all the people. It was just a joy, a joy to be a part of this successful mission, just one part.
1: And what about those that were rescued? How are these 41 workers after that extraordinary ordeal? Well, as you heard earlier, there
2: were 41 ambulances on standby, one for each of the men. And they also had hospital beds nearby ready to take them, but remarkably all of them seemed to be in pretty good health. They all pretty much walked out smiling with no major injuries or illnesses reported. And of course, that's in large part down to the fact that that small pipe that was installed to reach the men very early in the operation has allowed rescuers to keep a good supply of food and water and medicines to them. Now, this man was among those rescued and he told reporters at the site that he was just now looking forward to going home and spending time with his family.
4: When the debris fell, we knew that we were stuck For the first 10-15 hours, we faced difficulty But later, a pipe was put in to provide us with rice, dal and dry fruits Later, a mic was installed and I was able to talk to my family members I am happy now, we will celebrate Diwali now
1: now, of course, incredibly good news. But I'm guessing that there are still some answers now to be some questions rather to be answered now about why this happened in the first place, because of course it shouldn't have.
2: Absolutely, and an investigation will now get underway. Officials say they do want to understand exactly how the tunnel collapsed in order to ensure that future incidents can be avoided. But for the moment, they are keeping their focus on giving thanks for that successful rescue and. Even even the Australian Prime Minister has joined this morning, praising Arnold Dix and his team for their work in getting these men safely out. I'm going to leave you with this clip of his response to those thanks, which really made us all laugh in the office this morning.
0: <laughs> thanks, Mr Prime Minister. Thank you for your thank you. But it's, sir, uh, as an Australian, sir, if you're watching, um, it's been my, my privilege and my pleasure uh, to show that we're, fantastic and not just cricket i love cricket but we do other things as well including tunnel rescue and uh how about that 41 people all out all safe <laughs>
5: everything's perfect
1: oh that is lovely brilliant we love a cricket analogy here in the uae we love anything to do with cricket and australia and india so uh, thank you very much indeed jennifer crichton there bringing us up to date on that mine rescue over in india that took place overnight very good news Indeed. And uh, we'd love to get any of your comments through on that, 4001. Or you can WhatsApp us on 04871 I don't think any of us really expected a good news story out of that tale. Where there were so many twists and turns. and uh, I mean, the mountain, you, you just kept on hearing about more rock falls and, and more sort of shakiness and, and more risk. Uh, so it is absolutely extraordinary that those 41 men uh, came out alive and well.
0: You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station.
1: This is The Agenda.
0: On Dubai Eye 103.8.
1: Welcome back to The Agenda. Good to have you with us. Right, uh, this is probably... One of the most important stories we'll cover on this show this week because it's going to affect the most people. A huge road closure has been announced for Friday, Saturday and Sunday this week. Basically, Dubai's Shakeside Road will be closed Abu Dhabi bound from 7 a.m. until 11 a.m. for those three days which, of course, coincide with COP28 and also with the UAE's Union Day celebrations. Now, I wanted to find out more about this. It's a big story. It is going to, as I say, affect loads of us. So earlier I spoke to Bada al-Siri. He's the executive director of the traffic department for Dubai's Roads and Transport Authority. And he talked us through the details of that closure.
4: The diversion will be from 1st of December to the 3rd of December for three days. The timing will be from 7 a.m. to 11 a.m., only for three hours. The reason for that, because United Arab Emirates, we have, uh, you know, a big event such as the COP28 and the National Day at the same time. So we have a plan to divert uh, the traffic from Sheikh Zayed Road to other roads, such as Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed Road, Al-Khail Road, al Wasl Road, and Jumeirah Road. So we have several uh, alternative uh, routes for uh, people to use, as well as the public transport. The metro service will be available for everybody to
1: use. As you can imagine, when people first hear about this news, everyone's getting a bit of a panic on because everyone is used to being able to use that main arterial road of of Sheikh Zayed Road anytime they want. Obviously, from 7am until 11am, that is the peak times, that is the rush hour. Do you think the diversions that you guys are suggesting will get people where they need to go? Do you think they will be able to get to work if they need to?
4: Yes, they will because they have already alternative routes. They have alternative uh, services such as public transport and metro. The diversion will start, I mean, for three days from uh, 7 a.m. to 11 a.m. And part uh, traffic will be diverted from World Trade Center Roundabout to Expo Road. So it will be limited and uh, the the direction, it's from uh, Dubai to Abu Dhabi direction. The other direction will be open. The cross uh, bridges will be open. Alternative routes, as I mentioned, it will be open.
1: What would be your advice to people who are looking to get out on the roads at that time? Would you recommend trying to work from home and and, and staying off the roads?
4: Yeah, so uh, we need people to plan their uh, journey before they leave uh, during that time. Nobody would like to stay in a congested road or be wondering where to go. It's better for them to plan their trip. Otherwise, it is always the best to stay at home and work from home if they can, if they can.
1: Badr Al-Siri there, Executive Director of the Traffic Department for the Roads and Transport Authority. A huge thanks to him. Now, I'm joined in the studio by the ARN News Centre's Serena Kelly, well known for her Ask Serena slot during COVID. Well, I've got questions for you now,
6: Serena Kelly. Go for it, Georgia. <laughs> okay, so let's just um, let's just where from where? Sheikh Zayed Road. Sheikh Zayed Road yes. closed. Okay, but the good thing is, is as emphasised in your interview just now, it is only heading in one direction. So we know COP28 starting tomorrow, official opening ceremony Friday, December 1st. And as you've heard in your interview, local authorities announcing traffic diversions specifically and only for Dubai's Sheikh Zayed Road. So in place for three days from December 1st, that's the Friday, then you got Saturday and Sunday, December 2nd and 3rd, because it's to account for the activity of COP28, but also Union Day. Uh, December 2nd. So you do have a full image and details on the New Centre, our Instagram account, also the our New Centre website. But just to reiterate, here is what we know. It is the Abu Dhabi bound stretch of Sheikh Zayed Road that's going to be affected. So it is from the Trade Centre roundabout to the Expo intersection. That's The whole of dubai it's a a long stretch yes but it's only for a short period of time okay in the sense that it's from 7 a.m to 11 a.m so you can still use the road before seven and then seven a.m and then of course after 11 a.m in the morning as well it's just those those four hours between seven and eleven so
1: what about people who are listening to this going but but i need to get to work it's all very well all these people who get a cushy life and get to work from
6: home what about me? Yes, I've got. No one's going to present the radio from home. Well, you've got alternative routes. Uh, they are suggesting Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed, Sheikh Zayed bin Hamdan Al Nahyan Roads, Emirates Al Hail Road, also Jumeirah Road and Al Road. But the main thing is, is that as again from your interview. The smart screens and billboards, keep an eye on those because those are the ones that are going to provide regular updates when it comes to those traffic diversions and alternative routes. But remember, it is only the three days, Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Technically, Saturday and Sunday, most people are going to be off if it's the weekend, unless you're working. But it shouldn't affect things too badly, 7 a.m. to 11 a.m
1: we suddenly realise why the children are working from home (laughs) on on Friday. Friday. You suddenly realise why there's distance learning on a Friday. I was like, why are they doing that? That's really annoying. I've got to go to work and the kids are going to be off, you know, in inverted commas, distance learning. Mm. Now I realise it's all joined up. Look at that. Serena Kelly, as always, fantastic to have you on the
6: radio. If you want if people want to ask you stuff, yeah. they can do that, can't they? On 4001. Yeah, or just check out our AO News Center website, also our socials. You can always send us a DM if you yeah. uh, want to do that. Hashtag it Ask Serena. She's
1: an expert on this now. This is the agenda with Georgia Tolly.
0: On Dubai I 103.8, the UAE's number one talk radio station.
1: Welcome back to The Agenda. Lovely to have you listening. And I have a question for you on this Wednesday morning. Have you noticed any more snakes around the Emirate this year? Because according to an article in the National Newspaper, there are far more in Fujairah. Uh, that is because environment officers have been called to help 48 times this year to remove venomous snakes from gardens and vehicles. And authorities there say that is a rise over previous years. Now, this got us very intrigued. We love a snake story here on the agenda. Uh, so we wanted to find out, you know, possible reasons for why people are seeing so many more snakes and and having problems with them. They're coming into sort of human contact, so to speak. So to find out more, earlier I spoke to Andrew Gardner. He is Associate Director of Biodiversity Conservation at Emirates Nature WWF. Uh, He is something of an expert on this subject and he gave me
3: his theories. The reasons for it are more likely to be that people are are maybe just encountering them because of development, which is going on in their area around their houses. New houses being put up into areas where snakes were formerly living. And so the snakes, you know, they've got nowhere to go and they become into human contact more.
1: Do you think it could have anything to do with global warming? Do you think that maybe snakes are not hibernating as much as they used to?
3: Well, snakes, of course, are reptiles, so they're cold-blooded. Or ectothermic is the kind of slightly more scientific way, which means that they their body temperature depends on the external environment. So snakes, you know, if they need to warm up, they can bask in the sun, or they can lie out on hot rocks, or warm tarmac, or something to get their temperature up. If it's very cold, then they're not going to be active. The cold winter nights, you know, snakes are not active. Now the poisonous snakes here are the vipers, and there's four species of them. And they are all mainly nocturnal snakes. Um, They hide in the daytime and then come out at night to hunt. And as such, cold winter nights, they don't tend to be active. In fact, they may be active in in daytime, even on cold days in winter. Now, the climate is clearly changing. There's quite good evidence even here that the average temperature has gone up. And in particular... The warm season is getting longer in a sense. The warm days come earlier in the spring and last longer in the autumn, which means that those snakes will be more active earlier in the springtime and later in the autumn. So they, they have a longer season. So there's certainly an effect there. I don't think that would be the reason why we've got more snakes being encountered, though, in, in Fujera.
1: Do you need to worry if you come into contact with a snake? How many poisonous snakes are there in the uae for example
3: there are four species of vipers which are the only dangerous land snakes here in the uae there are sea snakes and they they are poisonous as well but the land snakes are the vipers um and they they live in different areas there's um two species which are only found in the mountains and mountain wadi's and there's one species which lives purely really in in soft sand dunes and sand areas, which is the um, Arabian horned viper. And then there's another species, the um, saw scale viper, which lives in kind of kind of gravel areas or harder surface sand. And so that species is found, for example, close to Dubai, and certainly was quite common in Dubai land for all the... uh, the housing estates were built in like Arabian ranches and those kind of areas. And if you go out in the desert, they're, they're still there. So it is a poisonous species. It is a dangerous species. In fact, source scale vipers are responsible for more human deaths than any other species worldwide. Um, that's not, doesn't mean that they're the most venomous or most dangerous snakes individually, but they're, they're common in many areas where people live, particularly in, in Pakistan in India and India in places and across Africa as well. So they are dangerous. They are dangerous snakes. And um, you certainly don't want to be bitten by one. The hospitals do carry anti-venom for the vipers here. So if anyone does get bitten by one, you know, you need to get yourself to a hospital. And uh, if the snake has injected venom, they would test for that. If it has, then they would... Um, put You on an anti venom treatment, which um, is very, very effective. So, there's, as far as I know, there's been no human deaths from snake bite for a long time here in the UAE.
1: If you, but oh, sorry, carry
3: on. Yeah. Sorry, but, but they, you know, they are dangerous. So, if you get bitten on the hand, let's say, or on the ankle, which are kind of the usual places where people get bitten, um, it will swell up, it will be painful. And without treatment, the vipers have a, a venom which is um, hemotoxic. It attacks the blood system. And one of the problems with that, with, particularly with sore-scale vipers, is that blood cells um, are damaged. And this means that they tend to block up the kidneys. So without any treatment, you can get permanent kidney damage, which would require the person to then have a um, lifelong dialysis requirement or a kidney um transplant or something like that so a serious medical situation
1: so how do you avoid being bitten if you do see one of these snakes should you beat a hasty retreat
3: many bites actually are caused by people trying to kill the snake if they find one in the garden you oh, know i better kill the snake and you know they go out and try to whack it or something and they're very fast at striking so that's not a good idea really at best just to leave it alone Obviously, if it is in a garden and things and you've got kids and stuff, you don't you don't want it there. So that is the time to call out the environmental authorities for them to remove it. But out in the desert or the mountains, just leave it alone and the snake will mind its own business.
1: Andrew Gardner there, Associate Director of Biodiversity Conservation at Emirates Nature WWF. And I am loving your snake stories that are coming in now. Welcome back to your Agenda programme. It is. I always keep on forgetting the date. It's the 29th of November already. That means we've got less than a month till Christmas, for those of us celebrating. And we're horrendously close to 2024. Uh, but we won't, we won't ponder on that for too long. Let's turn our attention instead to another mega project uh, that has just been announced just off the coast of Jumeirah. I feel this is very exciting, partly for me because I live in the area, but I think it's pretty exciting for everyone. Uh, essentially, it's an island just off the coast of Umm If you're thinking, sort of, where is that? It's near the Jamira Public Beach next to the Jamira Beach Hotel and the new Masa Al Arab, which hasn't opened yet, but that's that new Jamira Hotel that looks a bit like a ship parked on the coast. But this new island is expected to welcome a trio of iconic Las Vegas hotels, including the MGM, the Bellagio, and the Aria. And yes, I know what you're all thinking. And no, I'm not going to talk about that on the radio today. But instead, we are going to talk about what is being touted as the biggest construction deal since uh, 2017 in Dubai. And joining us to talk through it is Chris Seymour. He's head of strategy and investment in this region and others for Mott McDonald. And he's chair of the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors in the Middle East and Africa. Always lovely to have you join us in the studio, Chris. How are you? Good to see you.
7: I'm very pleased to be here as well. Good to see you, too.
1: Good to see you. Yes. Now, now tell me uh, it's being touted as a mega project i mean mega isn't sort of necessarily economically sound as a word but, but but is it is it one of those major sort of is is it sort of saudi level projects i suppose is what i'm asking
7: it's a good comparator and it is probably not quite as large as those in that we're seeing uh, launched in saudi but uh, certainly for a single asset uh, construction Award. This is the largest one since 2017. That was at one Zabil, the, the Twin Towers down at the uh, uh, at the Trade Centre there. Uh, that was about, I think, one, just over $1.3 billion. This is $1.2 billion. So for a single asset, this is a large project. There's no doubt about it. And it's, I think it's important to put this into context. So uh, last time we were talking about the blue line. Well, that's about $5 billion, But that's a system infrastructure. So that's la- likely to have large numbers around it. But this, as a, as a single asset project, is uh, is a large is a large project, and so for Dubai, this is um, uh, this is going to be uh, a good thing for the certainly for the construction industry, and, and also coming on the heels of the of the blue line that really puts uh, uh, quite a bit of focus back into Dubai.
1: Interesting that this isn't the first we've heard about this site is it?
7: No, it's not. This has had an interesting uh, history. Always a developer has been uh, has, has been wassel uh, and I think most people who are familiar with that stretch of the, of the beach, it's all, it seemed to be that eternal construction site. And I remember 10 or 15 years ago, this was a project called Porto and it looked uh, much more like, I guess, maybe an Italian or Portuguese uh, a fishing visit village, v- very nice and, and I think the reason for that was because we we had those string of hotels further down the coast and I, I think the, the, the theory was it didn't want to really detract from those so much. Things have now matured, time has moved on and so it's uh, this new concept launched in 2017. And the tender documents for this new project were originally issued in 2020, just before the pandemic. Of course, everything really stopped at the pandemic. So that was the second time it stopped. Uh, New team came on board and the tender documents were then issued a year ago. And it has just been awarded to China State Construction. So that gives a bit of an idea. These large construction projects, they do take a long time to tender to the market and then for the the client to agree pricing funding literally it has taken just over a year for that to happen that's not unusual for uh, a project of this size.
1: what happens now? I mean do they break ground it, does it happen really quickly or does it take a bit longer? Uh,
7: already broken ground actually the um, yes they've, they've got earthworks in place and again this is not unusual quite often earthworks happen ahead um, of uh, of the main tender uh, the main ten, uh, construction tender uh, being uh, being awarded. Um, and that's been taking place. Again, if you've been sitting on that beach, it's pretty noisy to your right hand side. And that's because uh, they've been doing quite a bit of work there. So that's already started. Um, this is um, due to start. If it's certainly been awarded now. You'd probably expect it to be started in early uh, in, in early 24. Um, it's a tricky site. There's only one way off it, one way on it. Um, it's not exactly an island, but it's a peninsula and it sort of wraps itself around the uh, what I call the the. the uh, the, the Fisherman's Marina, um, which is already there. And it sort of wraps itself around that. Large construction sites are all about logistics. And when you've only got one entry and exit, it makes things uh, harder, much more management, sometimes takes a little bit longer and it sometimes is more expensive as well. So it's going to be um, an interesting job for, uh, uh, for China State.
1: I have to say, when I look at it, it doesn't look big enough for three hotels and 1,400 rooms. It just looks like a tiny spit of land. Like, yeah. are they going to... There must be... Some re, re, land 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 creation effectively going on there.
7: They've been gradually expanding it. It's okay. ten. It's it's um, uh, apparently ten and a half hectares now, which is about uh, t- probably about twelve football pitches. Um, so that's not, not small. It's, no, not, it's not small, bad, and yeah. it, and the way it's been arranged, you can see how that density has been achieved. Yet they've also got a lot of um, external areas. It looks like a lot of green area there. Um, uh, many pools there. I think it's the sort of resort that that. Uh, The developers expecting uh, tourists to come to and stay there. That's really where it's uh, what it looks like. So it's a location, a destination on itself. It sounds
1: like they're going to have to stay there if it's difficult to get on and off.
7: (laughs) That's right, and it does. From my perspective, I think you can probably see there must be some um, some road improvement on the landward side of this because it's quite a narrow road at the moment. Fourteen hundred rooms, a lot of traffic. So I, I think we can probably see some improvement there,
1: unless they bring them in by boat. Could that be a possibility,
4: do you think?
7: Um, There's no, uh, well, there's no um, uh, harbour for that to happen unless you came into the marina, I guess. You could probably come into the marina, but it's not a marina for large vessels. This is why
4: I
1: don't work in urban planning. (laughs) Because that clearly was a was a non-starter as an idea. Uh, intriguing that they are going to have these three hotels there. Um, I mean, now I'm going to start like a NIMBY. I'm going to sound like a NIMBY. Do you, I mean, pr- people here might not know what NIMBYs are. It's a big thing in the United Kingdom. And NIMBY stands for not in my backyard. And I live in Umsakim. And I definitely don't want some hugely tall monstrosity just off the coast of what I see as my beach shading it at all times. I, what is the sort of profile of these buildings yes
7: it shouldn't be too it shouldn't that shouldn't happen they're not that tall there, there's certainly some um from the uh, uh from the plans it looks like they're probably uh maybe 12 uh, 15 stories but then that's it's quite a way into the uh into the island, so I don't think you're going to get that um, uh, that difficulty. I don't think that's going to be a particular problem. I don't think it's going to encroach on, if you like, the cityscape of that area of Dubai. It's been quite carefully planned. Indeed, the earlier project would have been a bit like that. Actually, it was quite tall, and there's quite a few towers on it. And I, I think that would have that did seem slight. Whilst it was a nice development, it did seem slightly out of place in that location. This seems to be probably a little bit more in place uh, for that location and, and it adds to what is becoming quite a long stream of, uh, of high-end hot- hotels uh, down that beach.
1: Yeah, we have a great choice of restaurants if we want to really splash the cash, that's for sure. Definitely, uh, yeah. And so how quickly do you think the hotels will be built. I mean, uh, how soon are we going to see rooms to rent on, on that island?
7: My judgment is I expect it's probably going to be three, four years. Um, okay. I, I think, uh, yeah, I think three or four years, um, definitely before 2030 for sure. Um, that's normally the period of time that you would see a, a uh, project like this starting to come to uh, fruition, uh, just saying again it's it 's quite a tight site um, and it takes a while to get uh, uh, get this type of project built as an example um, Atlantis the Royal I think had three site entries in that site and that 's another big big project um, and that took a while to get uh, get built as well so a uh, completely different development, but it just gives the 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 uh idea that um, it just Building a hotel is not so easy. Uh, there are certainly uh, some restrictions on this one, which is going to be, make it quite interesting for the team, for sure.
1: Yeah, you'll find it interesting to watch because I guess that means that they're going to have to be coming in and out of that site all day and all night, because they're going to need to use every minute that they can use that, that, that one access point.
7: They are. And again, that's going to cause that, that is, for residents, that is going to cause a little bit of... Uh, a you little can bit tell. Of dis-
1: <laughs> I've gone full nimby. A,
7: a little, dis- little bit of disturbance, um, I guess, in Dubai residents were are quite used to living next to construction sites, maybe. Um, it's yeah, not yeah. that unusual, but um, uh, yes, it will be. Uh, it, it will be quite a bit of traffic around there, I would expect.
1: Uh, Lisa's just sent in a message on 4001, uh, and, or maybe actually it was on WhatsApp, 04871 Uh She's asking, what are the names of the hotels? Well, Lisa, you are right to ask what the names of the hotels are. They are the MGM, the Bellagio and the Aria, a trio of, you know, I suppose iconic Las Vegas hotels. And there is a big question mark as to what that means for Dubai, what that means for certain sections of Dubai tourism potentially it is offshore one could argue i suppose ish um so yes there are lots of questions that could be asked around that as well but at the moment of course no one really knows so so we um i'm not going to ask chris about that because i would be putting on a very inconvenient spot but it is really interesting that those that we do seem to see these parallels between las vegas and dubai
7: Yes, and I think the that that's certainly the theme. I, I guess the similar, similarity ends there because Las Vegas is nowhere near the sea. But those uh, the Aria, the Bellagio, and the uh, MGM Grand are quite um, iconic. They're well-known uh, hotels in in Vegas, and each each one of those hotels in uh, in Vegas they've got. Uh, 17, 18, 19 restaurant outlets each. So this is going to be, it's going to be a lot of food and beverage there uh, for sure. Um, If if nothing else, it will certainly have that.
1: Yeah, and they're iconic for their, architecture aren't they for their interior design you know they really go wild in Vegas I I mean the imagination there is extraordinary. They
7: they, they do these I I think the external uh, treatment the external aesthetic is going to be each one is going to be a kind of a similar theme here rather whereas they're completely different in in Las Vegas each one they're going to be a similar theme here but I think that's really just to create that uh, overall look of the development that's what it's for it's not not for individual plots this is a single development.
1: It's so much fun talking about what's going on in Dubai and Abu Dhabi, all these developments. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for joining me as ever in the studio. It's been a great pleasure chatting to you. I wish you the best of the rest, the rest of the week.
7: Thank you so much.
1: And uh, a good Union Day weekend. That is Chris Seymour, the Head of Strategy and Investment in this region and many others for Mott MacDonald and also Chair of the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors in the Middle East and Africa. Thank you very much indeed for your time. This is The Agenda.
0: On Dubai Eye 103.8, the UAE's number one talk radio station.
1: Welcome back to The Agenda. Time now for us to turn our attention to sport. Our editor, Chris McCarty, has all the latest headlines for us.
5: Good morning, Georgia. Yes, happy Wednesday. And there really is only one place to start. That's with football. A big night of UEFA Champions League action. And well, Newcastle United fans waking up this morning to... Well, I'm sure a bit of anger, a bit of disappointment, certainly frustration as well. They were held where Newcastle to a 1-1 draw in Paris last night. A 98-minute penalty from Kylian Mbappe. It was a controversial one. It's been called a disgrace by many, Alan Shearer included. And it really was harsh on Newcastle. They were valiant last night. They were brave. They were courageous. They led as early as the 24th minute through Alexander Isak. And it took that last gasp penalty. Tino Liveramento He was penalised for a harsh handball Kylian Mbappe stepped up from 12 yards Made no mistake PSG keeping their hopes of reaching the last 16 alive Newcastle as well However, they now need to beat AC Milan At St James's Park in their final group game And hope that Borussia Dortmund already qualified Can do them a favour against PSG Other results last night Manchester City 2-0 down they were At the Etihad Stadium a rousing second half comeback you'd expect it from the kings of europe they would eventually prevail by three goals to two to top their group city then bouncing into the knockout stages celtic's european adventure is over they were beaten 2-0 two late goals from Chiro and mobily over in rome lazio 2 celtic 0. barcelona victorious over Porto. just to alleviate some of the pressure that had started to mount on their boss xavi as for tonight as I said yesterday all eyes 9.45 will be in Istanbul it is Galatasaray against the Manchester United side who have in recent weeks shown signs of improvement they need to win tonight to keep their hopes of reaching the knockout stages alive so that's the football as for cricket well Glenn Maxwell not for the first time in recent weeks the toast of Australian cricket he reached a century in their t 20 match against India 104 from just 48 balls that the joint fastest century in t20 history australia then pulling back one match in their best of five series against india they still trail 2-1 but there are hopes that they can round off this incredible last few months they won the test championship against india they beat india of course in the cricket world cup final can they make it a clean sweep and come back now to win this best of five T20 series? Well done to him. And that rounds out the sport. Loads still to look forward to heading into the weekend. Of course, the return of Premier League action. But it's all about the UEFA Champions League tonight again. And I'll give you a full review when we catch up tomorrow morning. Thanks, Georgia.
1: ARN Sports Editor Chris McCardy there. He is back at 5pm with your drive time show off script.
0: You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station.
1: This is The Agenda.
0: On Dubai Eye 103.8.
1: Yeah, welcome back to The Agenda. Georgia here and... We hear all the time that blue sky thinking and innovative ideas are what is going to help us find solutions to the climate crisis. And actually right now at Emirates Towers, there are 100 specially selected university projects on display and they represent the ideas and research from some of the world's most prestigious academic institutions. You're thinking the Oxford, the Cambridge, the Stanford. This Prototypes for Humanity event is going to run over the next few days. And it all comes ahead of a big award ceremony at COP28, where the contributors with the best ideas will share $100,000 prize money. Now, to find out more about what is on display, which, by the way, it is open to the public, Earlier, I spoke to Tadu Baldani. He is the director of the Prototypes for Humanity event. And he told me about the aim.
8: We have a dual mission. And the first goal that we aim to achieve is to showcase academic innovation and the role of academia in addressing complex global issues. Sometimes we feel that academic research is not sufficiently acknowledged as an engine and fuel for solving very complex global problems. And that's the first part of what we do, is to bring a very unique collection of academic innovation to Dubai to show the depth of academic research at global scale. And the second part is helping those that want to be entrepreneurs and want to take those innovations to the people and community that they were designed for to market.
1: Now, you've partnered with the Dubai Future Foundation, but you've got contributors from all over the world, really from some of the most prestigious universities, haven't you?
8: Yes. So we we work with over 10,000 professors across more than 100 countries. And every year what we do is to do a global scanning of academic research. And what we show in Dubai is a collective effort to solving issues. What we try to do is in the areas that have a lot of concentration of applications and For us, that represents global concern in areas, for example, like water purification, carbon capturing, cancer research. When we identify these pockets of interest, we find solutions across many universities that illustrate the problems and how we could solve them and we bring them to Dubai.
1: I know that's... A lot of the prototypes are very much aligned with the aims of COP28. A lot of them are focused specifically on environmental solutions. Can you give me some examples of some of the clever ideas?
8: Yeah, so we have people using bioengineering, for example, and the power of bacteria to capture carbon from the atmosphere. We have students, a group of PhDs from um, UCLA, for example, that are developing a completely off grid hardware solution to break down air into hydrogen and graphite. We have people that on more the health space, which is also one of the areas of concern for COP using artificial intelligence to do better medical diagnosis and cancer research as well.
1: At the moment these are prototype ideas. Do you see any of these hundred prototypes going on to have practical, everyday uses?
8: Absolutely. And that's one of the objectives of the program is to find the mechanisms and the partners within Dubai Innovation Ecosystem to onboard these ideas and co-build them with the innovators from universities so that they can be tested, they can be piloted, they can be invested in and taken to the world.
1: Do you have any particular prototypes that have really caught your eye as you were as you were going through them. was there one that, that you thought, hang on a second, that one has got to be, you know, someone's got to put seed money into that idea.
8: We see a lot of deep tech and deep science innovation at prototypes for humanity, but sometimes simpler solutions, they can have an immediate and tremendous impact. So there is one project that got my attention and all the visitors so far, they have loved it as well, which is an alternative for the Ivy Drip for emergency scenarios. So as you know, when you have to do IV on any patient, you need to have that bag hanging somewhere so gravity can drop medicine into the bloodstream. But when you are in an emergency scenario, you don't necessarily have the tools or the time or the equipment to have that bag hanging there. So these students from South Korea have developed a power-free, gravity-free solution that uses the power of elasticity to push medicine into the bloodstream without having to use the bag. It's a simple, cost-effective, easily deployed solution that can save many lives very quickly.
1: That is Tadjur Baldani, the director of the Prototypes for Humanity event, which is ongoing at the moment at Emirates Towers. It is open to the public, uh, so well worth going down to take a look at it, ahead of maybe a COP28 visit this weekend. This is The Agenda on Dubai I 103.8. Up next, you've got your news. The Agenda is live Monday to Friday from 10am till 1pm.